This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, good news, OG. You were in the other room when I mentioned this at the beginning of one of our Rewind episodes last week, but my nephew Colin just returned from a submarine tour. Three months out at sea, safely back home. <laughs> when you said submarine tour, I was like, oh, where do you work any tour subs? Mmm, <laughs> subs. You can- <laughs> I didn't mean the sandwiches. I'm like, a, like a tasting? He had like a tasting? What was it paired with? Diet Pepsi? It was great. Remember those breads that all this look is, different uh, but taste this, the same? This tastes like uh, Asiago with... Um, is, is this the turkey and ham? I like that you put cucumbers on it. This is an interesting flavor profile. Yes, at the beginning of this year, stackers, Navy Federal and our Stacky Benjamins team would like to salute our troops who kept us safe all of last year and doing the same this year. Go thank a service member, people, and thanks to Navy Federal for not only supporting our troops, but who support our troops, all hoping to not just keep you safe, but also hope to stack a few Benjamins himself. Thanks for all you do, troops. Hey, I'm Rob Berger. When I'm not rolling in the dough, that's right, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and what could be better at the start of a fresh new year than to learn about reinventing yourself? Here to share lessons from the story of how Netflix did it, we welcome Aaron Meyer. Plus, one billionaire handed over a cool six billion bucks to charities last year. What can we learn about giving to charities from this Wonder Woman? Wow, I just made up that term. Wonder Woman. I wonder if it'll take off. We'll wrap things up by tossing out the Haven Lifeline to Brad, who's retiring, but still wants to max out his HSA. Talk about juggling. We'll help Brad manage priorities in this important year. And I'll do my part by wowing you with my amazing trivia. And now, two guys who have been trying to reinvent themselves for years. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. And a happy Wednesday to you. Welcome back, stackers, to the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Saul Cihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me, exhausted because he's working a full week for the first time in, well, has he ever actually worked a full week? It's Mr. OG. I'm exhausted because I'm on day six. Keep me accountable. Keep me accountable, Stacking Benjamin's people. Day six. Of? Well, it was meant to be day six of... Every day riding the Peloton. 
I'm optimistic because we're recording this a little bit in advance that that's true. But in case it's not, which also could be true, that I didn't make it to day six, it is day six of having a cup of coffee every day. Just baby steps. We had Rachel Cruz on on Monday. Ramsey organization knows all about baby steps. Yes. Just do that with your goals. Or you could go with what Doug said on Monday and say, hey, I'm never going to ride my Peloton again. I will never do it. Yeah. For those of you that missed Monday's show, uh, go back and hear Doug's strategy there. We've got a fantastic show today. Aaron Meyer, co-author of a book on how Netflix works. And before you go, oh, this one's not for me because I don't run a business like Netflix. I think even if you're dealing with your family here, this is an important, uh, important interview. Lots of good strategies on how to manage people, manage your organization, whatever your organization might be. But before we get to our headlines today, you want to hear something amazing, OG? I do. Yes, please. Pay your credit cards off every month. Discover them. Bam, going to match all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. How amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing because of all the places Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report. Limitations apply. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. More amazement coming up. Aaron Meyer and some of the lessons from creating Netflix. But first, got a couple headlines. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Our first headline comes to us from the New York Times. This is written by Nicholas Kulish. Giving billions fast, McKinsey Scott upends philanthropy. Of course, after divorcing Jeff Bezos, she had billions of dollars in OG late last year. Tons of organizations, according to this piece, got letters saying that uh, they were going to get a lot, lot, lot of charitable donations in their pocket. And, and I'm wondering, because when you see these organizations that are set up over time, right, these foundations, they do a lot of very careful scrutiny and they give money a little bit at a time. Mm-hmm. Do you think some of these organizations, when they're flooded full of tons of money, that that's going to create a little bit of waste? Like they might not do the charitable thing as well because, hey, all of a sudden I got more than enough to meet my budget. Yeah, I've thought about this and um, trying to figure out like what's the best way to do it. You know what I mean? Because you can have, and certainly we're not donating money to the capacity of McKenzie here, but um, you know, a lot of times organizations have big capital projects that they're trying to do, and so a large donation can kind of check the box of that capital project. Like, hey, we're trying to build a new wing to the thing, <laughs> a wing to the thing, you know, or. You know, like church has, hey, we're trying to raise $100,000 for a new organ or something like that, you know, and little bits of time, it takes them five years and they finally have enough money. You know, a lump sum of contribution can accelerate that. Well, that's what it says in this piece is that she really wanted to get out of the way thinking that these people are professionals. They know what the issue is. And sometimes these organizations are so uh, second guessed by people who really, they're well-intentioned people, OG, that just don't know any better. So they come in for these site visits and they said that a lot of these organizations, they roll their eyes because they spend so much time doing site visits and raising money that they can't get to the important work they're trying to do. Yeah. That would be a benefit of it, right? So that they can now focus all their energy on deploying the capital, so to speak. 
It's funny because I think that you should do your due diligence. Let's bring this away from Mackenzie Scott to you and I. I think that we should do our due diligence. We're giving money to charities. Obviously, we might want to make sure that they're a 501c3. They really are a charity and not just somebody with their hand out. So do that basic stuff. But I think also people need to get away a little bit from the expenses that the charity has. Because you see this emphasized all the time. What percentage of the money is actually going to charity versus what percent is being deployed? And the problem with that, according to Kimberly Putnam Walker, who was on our show uh, last summer, if you remember, OG, she said that the problem is good charities need good people. And if you spend a little more, and I think we'll probably hear this again later from Aaron Meyer talking about the success of Netflix, If you spend a little more and have great people in your corner, maybe you're not deploying as high a percentage, but it's much more laser focused. It's actually solving the problem instead of just keeping expenses super low and getting a bunch of money out there that later on, once it leaves the charity is going to get wasted. Yeah. And that's always the challenge is to, you know, make sure that you're supporting organizations that are trying to do the right thing. And then those organizations are finding organizations that are doing the right thing. You know I mean? It's a multi-step process and you can look at it and say, well, it's ridiculous that they pay the such and such a person so much money to do this thing. And it's like, maybe it is, or maybe it's not, but at the end of the day, are they solving the problem that they're trying to do? You know? And people listening to this show want metrics and that's an easy metric to get at. What's the cost. But I think that a metric that we should be looking for is some effectiveness metric. And I'm not sure what those are. In fact, we'll link to our interview with Kimberly Putnam Walker, she'd know. Uh, she also has a book on the topic, but we'll also link to a few other sources in our show notes page. But I think it's as much about being effective. And I don't know if giving billions and billions of dollars away is going to be effective, but giving billions and billions of dollars away in a hurry is going to be effective. I guess we shall see. Our second headline comes to us from Investment News for people new to the show. This is uh an industry rag for uh, investment advisors, kind of the stuff that industry insiders read. You know, Art Bell, when he was on the show talking about creating Comedy Central, remember him talking about reading Cole Weekly? When he yeah. was, this, this is the finance industry's Cole Weekly. Cole Weekly, right. <laughs> Mark Schaff Jr. wrote this piece. SEC approves rule, that's not the Southeastern Conference of Football fame, that's the Securities and Exchange Commission, approves rule to allow testimonials in advertising. Mark writes, the new rule replaces the advertising rule, which was adopted by the Securities and Exchange Commission in, wait for this, because this might be a little outdated. This is this is something that we used to laugh about all the time. When I was, in, I don't know if you guys still do, OG, but 1961, this rule was created. And a rule on payments to solicitors established in 1979. The previous regulations centered on written communications, television, and radio advertising. The newly approved rule finally, finally contains principles-based provisions that can apply to online outreach, such as advisor marketing over social media. Can you believe it? We finally, welcome to the 1990s Securities and Exchange Commission. Isn't that funny? Well, this, this always frustrated me when I was an advisor. And frankly, even now on the social media side, it still frustrates me on the financial media side because I hear a lot from unregulated, lack of a better term, let's call them morons, 
who, uh, and by the way, that's not everybody. There's some smart voices out there, but when you're unregulated OG, anybody can say anything, but there's a ton of smart people out there who choose to say nothing because of these incredibly onerous rules that the Securities and Exchange Commission have in place. And of course, then you have compliance people in these big organizations who are making sure that the organization doesn't get in trouble, who basically tell their people, you need to say nothing so that we stay out of trouble. Yeah. Yeah. It's super frustrating that um, we're moving at the speed of, uh, gosh, (laughs) 50 years, 40 years of outdated stuff here. And by the same token, if you are going to rely on Yelp, if you're a financial planner to make or break your business, I don't think that's going to be successful either. You yeah. know what I mean? I'll be interested to see how this goes. You know, we have compliance people that work for work for our firm and um, haven't really spent a lot of time on this yet because this passed brand you know, kind of late in the year and really didn't want to spend a lot of time thinking about <laughs> thinking about work around the holidays. But I have started to see a little bit in the Twitter sphere about like marketing companies going, "Hey, great news! You can put just you know testimonials on your website." It's like <laughs> here it comes. Is that is that going to be the key to success? Like somebody writes, "OG's awesome" or "OG sucks." Like that's going to make or break your decision making. And and I think for the consumer, if you're going to go through and interview a financial planning firm, and your selection criteria are, "Wow, they had a lot of great testimonials." I think I'm going to go with them. No, but, but when Angelo Poli at MetPro casually says, I worked with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. It goes a long way. And the fact that he can say that and Aaron Rodgers is okay with him saying that, you know, that says a lot to a bunch of people. Now, there are some rules here that Mark writes about. He says the final marketing rule allows testimonials, endorsements, product, or excuse me, performance advertising and third-party ratings as long as they comply with anti-fraud protections and other conditions that'll be interesting because you're going to see people flaunt these things right (sighs) you're going to see some ugliness by people that don't read the full rule so it is that the ugly's coming but for instance he writes an advertisement must disclose whether the person giving an endorsement or testimonial is a client or is being compensated advertising of gross performance must be accompanied by net performance and performance data must be presented over a specific time period. And they don't get too much into that yet. Uh, But the SEC chairman, John Clayton says the advertising regulation reform was overdue. And I, for one agree. The thing I think that listeners of this show should look out for is if there is an advisor who is listing performance data in their marketing and advertising, I think you need to run. I think you need to run away because if they're truly doing comprehensive financial planning and they're looking at your situation, what does it matter that Aaron Rodgers got X percent because he's got different goals than you have? Yeah. Again, I'll be interested to see how this all shakes out for everybody. It's it's very difficult to have performance calculations done according to the standard that is required. It costs a lot of money to have that audited. So, so that's the other side of it. I'll be interested to see like how many relatively smaller firms are touting that, but I'm with you. If they're just investment managers, right? If they have one single philosophy, I think about like a mutual fund or something, right? If they're like, Hey, we're a large company tech fund. This is all, all we manage money. And you're looking for that thing. Then yeah, you would 
sometimes look at some performance data to kind of get an idea of what you're getting yourself into if you're trying to, you know, invest in an active strategy or something like that. But if you're on a quest to find a financial planning firm and they're like, and our average client gets 8.6% a year, like I'd be like, what does that got to do with anything? What if I only need six to reach my goals? Yeah. Taking too much risk to reach my 6% return. By the way, the rule goes into effect 60 days after it's published in the Federal Register. Uh, Mark writes, he says, or after the election of President-elect Biden on January 20th, he says that makes it vulnerable to a delay. We saw that with the change of administration to the Trump administration, where there were some oversight things that the Obama administration put in place, and there was big delays there as uh, oversight change. So hopefully, though, hopefully coming. Maybe that's going to be our first takeaway. Don't uh, bet on hopefully uh, in your in your financial plan. But we'll have a couple better takeaways in just a second. But first, OG, do you own or rent your home? I do that, yes. I bet it can be hard work. You bet correctly. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or your renter's insurance along with your auto policy. And it's a good thing, too because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. I think uh, takeaway number one, seriously, on this advisory statement is now that we're going to see some testimonials, hopefully we'll see some people that haven't previously talked very much on social media, get involved in some of these conversations. I've been involved in conversations where people are talking about gold as an emergency fund, not one an advisor would have. You talk about people investing their entire emergency fund, not not something a professional advisor uh, would also get involved with. And uh, a lot of betting, and there's not enough people talking against betting. Not that, you know, for some people, trading is fun, depends on why you're doing it. But advisors on the other side of that, that finally are weighing in on some of these discussions will present a whole different point of view. But I think our takeaway there, OG, is when you're watching people online, which studies show is more and more where people are getting their news, right? From friends and family and from people online. Look at their credentials. Who are you actually listening to? We used to say that all the time about CNBC, right? A CNBC guest comes on, look at their credentials. I think it's the same if you're reading somebody on Twitter and you go, Ooh, that sounds good. And then our second takeaway, while expenses are important when it comes to charitable giving and keeping track of those, I think it's equally as important, maybe even more so to talk about effectiveness. And if you're going to look for metrics to value the charities you're giving money to. Look for organizations that are getting the job done. Well, I'm so happy today's guest agreed to talk to us because I'm so interested and how Netflix came to be and how they have managed after time and time again. How many times, OG, have you heard people say, oh, Netflix is dead now, (laughs) like the Netflix killer is coming? Yeah, right around the corner. And yet Netflix not only continues to survive, but seems to get stronger all the time. Aaron Meyer is a professor at INSAID in Paris and not Paris, Texas. The other Paris, the lesser known one over in France. Over in where? Oklahoma. Over in, yes. Uh, Not that one either, surprisingly. 
There's one in France. Who knew? Uh, of course, the, one of the leading international business schools. Her work is always focused on how the world's most successful managers navigate the complexities of cultural differences in a global environment. She's dealt with that. I want you to listen carefully, though, everybody, to this interview, because even if you're just managing the family at home, I think she makes some great statements uh, based on the book where they talk about managing people, managing expectations, getting rid of rules. Here's the co-author of No Rules Rules, Aaron Meyer. And on my dad's shortwave radio, it's my new friend, Aaron Meyer. Aaron, how are you? I'm great, Joe. Joining you from Paris this evening. It's starting to get dark outside. Nice to be here with you. I I want to go to Paris right now, Aaron. I just, and I think it's COVID, right? That I just want to go anywhere. But Paris is my favorite city on earth. How long have you lived there? I've lived here 20 years, but I can tell you um, December is not the time. The winter is not the time to come because it gets dark really early. And all those images you have of strolling down the Champs-Elysees, it's not happening this time of year. Uh, Yeah. So Paris in the springtime, right? That's right. That's better. When you and Reed started working on this project together, I love the opening of of the book, Aaron, where where you say this whole Netflix culture thing. I don't know how how any of this works. Like you read the culture deck, which a lot of our fans have also read, and you said you didn't really like it. Why didn't you like it? Yeah, well, it's pretty startling, right? So, I mean, that's the set for the listeners who don't know, this set of of slides that Reed released on the internet a bunch of years ago. They've been read like 20 million times now. And one of the slides says, at Netflix, adequate performance gets a generous severance. I think some people have some ethical issues when they hear that, but that wasn't so much what was going on for me. It's just that at INSEAD, where I teach, the business school I teach at here in France, we're all talking about psychological safety in the workforce. So if you want to create an environment that's really innovative, you need to have a psychologically safe work environment. And I just couldn't figure out how a company that was innovative like Netflix was could be focusing not on psychological safety, but saying things like adequate performance gets a generous severance. So that was pretty puzzling. And then there are other weird things in that deck too, right? It says things like our vacation policy at Netflix is uh, take some and our travel and expense policy at Netflix is act in Netflix's best interest. And, you know, I thought those principles sounded fine, but I couldn't figure out how like in a real company with more than 15 people, they could actually use those principles successfully. So I was really puzzled to figure out how that would work in a real company. So Reed gave you then, I'm, I'm imagining carte blanche to just go talk to people inside the company because you wrote that you interviewed 200 Netflix employees past and present. Yeah, that's right. So I interviewed a couple hundred people um, who were in Netflix currently or had been. We worked in offices around the world. And then I spent a lot of time with Reed himself trying to figure out how this actually worked in a company and also mostly trying to figure out what were the lessons that I could take that I could pass on to other people uh, just for things they could do was lead someone leading a little team that they want to get more innovation out of things they could do in order to get that to happen. Were there any of those interviews, Aaron, that really surprised you? 
Oh, well, what surprised me the most is how candid people were with me. I mean, you know, when I got started, I was like, is this even going to be a useful exercise? Because everybody knows that I'm writing a book with their CEO. Right. So, right. So like they they sign up to come into an interview and he asked them, he said, be candid with Aaron the way we are with one another. And I was like, OK, we'll see how that works. Yeah, right. Here we go. But I actually found that people were extraordinarily candid. And, you know, they love people would sometimes people would, you know, cry. They told me stories about the politics in their department. And then they talked endlessly and passionately about the freedom uh, that they had at Netflix to make big decisions and do things they believed in. So, yeah, I saw a little bit of everything, but that freedom was everywhere. Something that surprised me as I was reading through the pages was Reed's openness and honesty about his past mistakes. How many of those past mistakes kind of have fueled the culture at Netflix today? Well, so he loves to talk about uh, his first company, which was his Damascus Road experience. I mean, how he uh, everything he learned about how to run a company was from from the failure at PureSoft. So Pure Software was his first company. That was a, a small entrepreneurial company to start out in Silicon Valley. And we could say that people were just in the company running like fast and loose, right? So there were no rules or process. They were all just doing the best they could to make good decisions for the organization. But then, you know, like any company, the company started to grow to a couple hundred people, to a couple thousand people. And as it grew, um, of course, some people took advantage of the freedom. Some people did stupid things. And as that happened, Reed started to put rules and process in place. For example, there was this guy named Jim who used to fly every week from San Francisco to LA. And because there was no travel policy, he thought, well, I'll just fly first class every week, right? And when Reed found out, he was really frustrated. So he put in place a detailed travel policy, right? There was this woman named Charlotte and she used to bring her dog to work every day. There was no policy saying she couldn't, but the dog chewed a big hole in the carpet one day. So Reed put together, started putting together an employee handbook, right? And it, one of the rules in that handbook was no dogs at work. But these, then, are, these all seem to make so much sense though, right? I mean, it, it sounds like you have to, that's what you should do. Well, of course, and almost all companies are built on the idea that once people start to take advantage of the freedom around them, that we need to set in place processes in order to reduce error. That's what Reed did. But then he also found that something happened, which is that when the company was really small, it had been super innovative. But as he put in place these rules and processes, the most mavericky kind of like crazy thinkers, they started to leave the company because really mavericky creative people, they want to work at places they can run free. And then the company stopped innovating. The other thing that happened was that the people in the company who were really good at following the rules and process, they were promoted into senior management positions and they were not the most flexible people. So when the environment shifted from C++ to Java, they weren't really flexible and the organization was not able to shift with it. So they had, he had to sell the company. So in any case, it was because of that, let's say, overriding mistake that Reed opened up Netflix with these two overarching ideas. One is employee freedom breeds innovation. 
And the second was process kills flexibility. So then he thought, you know, with this new company, even as it grew, he was going to keep rules and process as low as possible. Which sounds awesome. But I, I can just imagine as Netflix grew, like keeping that pace and that uh, openness has got to be a hard thing, Aaron. Yeah, well, that's the the first thing. It's like, um, you know, Reed says it like he's buttering his toast, right? Oh, we just give we just give people freedom. Everyone yeah. can sign off on multi million dollar decisions. But you think, well, in real life, how does that play out, right? But the deal is that there are a, a number of elements in the ecosystem that allow this freedom to be possible. So the first is that. Reed insists, Netflix insists on having only top performers in the organization. The idea being that top performers don't need much rules and process. Most of the rules and process at most companies are put in place to deal with the kind of like, let's say, less fabulous employees. And this was the first for me. This was the first of many ah ahas. And the big aha, I think, that I would love to hear you tell this story, Aaron, is they went through this painful period, right, where they had to let a bunch of people go. And yet, and this is this was mind-bending for me, that ended up being this huge aha moment for Reed. Yeah, that's right. So when Reed started Netflix, he wanted to give his employees freedom and he wanted to build up high performing teams. But he also thought that the reality of any business was that every team would have some okay players and some excellent ones. I mean, if they were really poor performers, clearly he fired them. Uh, And then in 2001, Netflix had grown to 120 employees and the, the environment around the office was okay. And the company was doing fine. Um, But then financial crisis hit and Reed found out he was going to have to fire one third of his employees or close the company. And he really dreaded that, right? Because he thought, gosh, you know, first of all, those 120 employees were busy. So if he fired 40 of them, then the other 80 were going to have to work like crazy and that was going to make them bitter and the whole thing was going to be horrible. In any case, he didn't have a choice. So he he laid off those 40 employees. People cried and slammed doors and, you know, shrieked just like you expect. But within several weeks, something really strange happened, which was that the employees that he'd kept were suddenly accomplishing everything. So the 80 employees were suddenly accomplishing everything that the 120 employees had been accomplishing before them. But better than that, it now seemed that the environment around the workplace had just improved dramatically. It was like suddenly everybody in that office was madly in love with their work. So, um, Trying to think it over, like, why did this happen? Reed came to the conclusion that this happened because the people he had kept in the company were really the star performers. And for a star performer, a great workplace is not a sushi lunch, right? A great workplace is being surrounded by other stunning colleagues. Um, So that was his goal moving forward to do anything necessary to make sure that his organization was staffed with only high performers. 
You reference a study about how, because I thought, well, surely, Aaron, you could have one or two people that are mediocre and you'll be fine. But you reference a study that where you say, no, that's not the case. And all of your study of culture, there have been studies done where you put you put just a, one or two mediocre apples in there. It taints the whole bunch. Yeah, there's this fascinating study that's conducted by this professor named William Phelps, and he invited four MBA students into his lab at a time. He gave them a 45-minute task, and he rewarded them financially based on how well that they did. And unbeknownst to them, on 50% of the group, there was an interloper. So the interloper was this guy named, this actor named Nick. And Nick had been hired to act like a regular MBA student, but to behave in a way that was a little bit unamazing. Like sometimes he would act bored and text his mother and put his feet up on the table. Sometimes he would act kind of jerky by saying things to other the other MBA students like, have you even ever attended a business school class before? And what's amazing is that on team after team, what Professor Phelps proved is that those teams with Nick on them, they performed at a 45% worse rate. That's so amazing. And even more interesting than that is that the, the three excellent MBA students, they start to behave like Nick in just 45 minutes. So when he's bored, you know, when he's acting like a, this, this bored pessimist, after about, you know, 20, 30 minutes, the other MBA students on the team also start acting bored, saying things like, what's even the point of this exercise, right? <laughs> And when he acts like a jerk, others on the team start acting jerky too, and not just to him, but to one another. So I think a lot of managers think an individual performance problem is an individual problem. So if I leave that person on the team, that's just about me and him. But what research shows is that an individual performance problem is not an individual problem. It's a systemic problem that impacts the entire team, maybe even the entire organization. The impact of that I just was unbelievable to me. Once you get to a better talent density then, your next step is then to increase candor, which again, Aaron, I think, okay, this sounds great. We're all going to tell each other what we think about each other. And before we know it, everybody hates each other at work, right? We're commenting on every little thing. This also sounds backward. Yeah, well, I have to tell you, I really hated that when I started doing the work there. And I hated it because they were giving feedback to me. Oh, wow. I mean, I had this one situation and it just kind of, I think, shows how um, how candor works. I was giving a presentation to at a leadership conference for Netflix. There are 500 people in the audience. And at one point I gave them a, a small group exercise and I came down from the stage to meander around. Right. And as I was meandering, I saw one woman in one group and she was talking in this really animated way. And when she saw me, she gestured me over. So I came over and she said, Aaron, I just need to give you some feedback. You know, the way that you are facilitating the discussion from stage, it's really undermining your point because you're talking about cultural diversity, but then you're asking for volunteers and it's only the Americans who are volunteering. Please find a way to fix this because I really want to make sure that your presentation succeeds. (laughs) 
right? And I thought, you are telling me this now, right in the middle of my presentation? Never before, right? But immediately I thought, well, of course she's right. And it hadn't occurred to me. I had two and a half minutes before going on to stage. I kind of went into this deep meditative state. And I, after two and a half minutes, I had a better method. I came back onto stage and I facilitated in a way that I got all of the cultures speaking. And that's just such an example of what happens with feedback, which is that if feedback is given with the purpose to help the person that you're giving it, it's actionable, right? That you're giving it, then it doesn't always feel comfortable. And a lot of people initially think, oh gosh, really? But it can really help a lot. I mean, that woman, she saved my presentation. That's for sure. I just can't believe she told you that in front of everybody. That's that's still <laughs> the part that gets me. I'm like, hey, couldn't we have gone to the back of the room and done this? But in their culture, I, I suppose that doesn't matter. Oh, and Joan, she, Joe, she couldn't have because we didn't have time, right? Oh, yeah, right, I mean, right. I was going back on stage in three minutes. And of course, in any other company, any person would say, well, obviously it would be inappropriate for me to give her that feedback now. So I'll just let her continue to ruin her presentation. <laughs> well, 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 and you talk about that and with all your work in, on, on culture, Aaron, not just with Netflix, but in, in all of your work. I mean, and you make this point, how many times have you sat through a meeting and you go, you know, I should really tell them this thing but I won't, or man, I should probably give them this feedback because I really don't think this initiative is going to work. And how much worse off is the company, the organization, the family, whatever it is, because you didn't speak up. Of course, we don't like feedback as animals because of the amygdala. The, as human animals, right? Uh, so the amygdala is, of course, the most primitive part of your brain. And one of the things that the amygdala is very concerned with is finding safety in groups. So the amygdala is really worried that you are going to be kicked out of the tribe, oh. right? So when someone gives you feedback about what you didn't do well, your, your amygdala starts screaming, right? Sending out an alarm. And often it puts us into fight or flight fight. We defend ourselves. No, it's not true. I didn't do it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Problem's not me. It's you. Right? Or we flight, we flight. We think, well, I'm never going to talk to that guy again. But the amygdala should not be running our companies today because we need that feedback. There's one piece of research that shows that 72% of people in companies wish they could get more feedback and think they could do a better job if they received it. So at Netflix, they've tried to put in place, they have successfully put in place these methods for getting the feedback out there, despite the amygdala. How do you do that? Right. So they have a couple of things. I mean, one is just putting feedback on the agenda, right? So as you said a moment ago, like you might say, oh, that guy in that meeting, he talked so much that the client never had an opportunity to speak. Am I going to tell him? I mean, I know if I told him it would help the company and the team and probably even him, but he didn't ask me for feedback and it might he might like me less if I tell him. So I'll just stay quiet. Yeah. Right. 
Um, but at Netflix, they frequently put feedback on the agenda. So like maybe I meet with that guy once a month and the last item or the first item on the agenda is always feedback. He gives me some feedback about how I can uh, improve my performance and I give him some feedback. So the, the mechanism assures that I have a moment, a clear moment to tell him what he can do better. And then they have the crazy one, Joe, uh, which is these... Uh, uh, these 360 feedback dinners where they get together in the evening, maybe once a year as a team, and they go around the table one by one. Like if I'm up first, uh, I'm on the hot seat. Everybody at the table gives me some feedback about what I could do better. <laughs> and when I first heard that, I thought, well, what's the point, right? Why can't you just tell me, uh, you know, in the corner with the door closed? Yeah, right. In front of everybody, right? What a what a horrible embarrassment! But I saw that it's actually this incredible mechanism because what happens is that we get rid of then kind of all the gossiping and whispering oh. behind one another's back, and we all know, oh, you know what? Cheryl's working on getting better at this, and you know Jackson's going to try to speak less in meetings, and uh, Jenny's going to try to uh, to do a better job with her with her presentations or whatever. Right. And it also creates a mechanism where I can see, you know, um, that one piece of feedback from Patrice, that really was only from him. No one else agreed with it. But that other feedback, it came from everybody on the team. So I can really see what I need to work on based on the whole team, not just one individual. It's actually a great trigger for improving performance. This has to be modeled, though, very carefully, I would think, Aaron, from the top down. Like if the boss... If the boss doesn't model this, it goes nowhere. Oh, that's right. So first of all, let me say big rule at Netflix, no brilliant jerks. No. If you have jerks on your team, don't do the 360 dinner. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it ends in a food fight. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, then you're just going to have, yeah, crying, backstabbing, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when feedback is given, we have to keep uh, keep to what 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 we'll call the four A's. OK, the four A's of feedback at Netflix. Number A, number one, the feedback needs to be given with the aim to assist. So I only give the feedback to help you out, not because I want to get frustration off my chest or make myself feel better. The goal is to help you. And then the second is actionable. That's the second A, right? When I give you the feedback, you should see clearly what you could do, what action you could take in order to, to get better. And then the, the third A, because of the amygdala, is that when you get the feedback, you need to show appreciation. Thank you. I really appreciate you giving me that feedback. And then the fourth A is accept or discard. Just because you get a lot of feedback doesn't mean you have to be acting on it all the time. Some of those things you might think, you know what, I hear you, but I'm not going to do it. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and if you get those things going, I think it actually can be very useful. I've started doing those live 360s with my own team, and I found them to be really, really helpful. I was thinking, and as our team here at uh, in the basement hears this, uh, I can already hear mom and neighbor Doug groaning as we're as we're gonna gonna start doing that ourselves. But I do think I think it's in, it, it it sounds incredibly helpful. And you know what? Afterwards, I'm always so appreciative that somebody told me what they really thought. And you know, like you said earlier, when we're all going ahead faster, it's exciting to be part of something that's moving. You know, something that's an exciting place to work. 
you also then, then you go into now that you have great talent density and you have candor, now you can start removing controls. This also confused me. How the heck do you get people to take vacation when there's no vacation policy? It seems to me that if you, if, if there were no vacation policy, Aaron, nobody would take a vacation because now I can point at the person next to me and say, I'm working way harder than they are. So I deserve a raise quicker. I deserve a promotion quicker. That seems like that'd be tough too. Yeah. So when you get rid of policies, of course, there's always a lot of worries. And the one about getting rid of a vacation policy, well, there's two parts, right? One would be that either, like if you're the the entrepreneur who's leading the company, either you worry that nobody's going to take vacation or you worry that everybody's going right. to take vacation. Nobody's going to work, right? <laughs> no one's going to come to work anymore. Right? They start taking six, eight months off, right? <laughs> So here's where um, where they say at Netflix, lead with context, not control. And the idea is that we don't tell employees how much time they can take off. Everyone should do what they feel is best for them and their jobs. But the boss has to be setting clear context by taking a lot of vacation herself and by talking about when is a good time to take vacation throughout the year. Um, it doesn't mean that there's just a free for all, of course. In the absence of policies, we look around us to see what our colleagues are doing and we try to do the same. So Reed himself, he takes six weeks of vacation a year, and I've never met a CEO who talks so much about his vacation. <laughs> and I saw that Reed does that because he wants everybody to see, look, I'm taking six weeks of vacation and you should do that also. So it, it trickles down. And I do think we can see that with all elements of, let's say, um, leading without controls that you need to be setting a good example. These are just the first three dominoes of many, many dominoes. I was fascinated the entire book as you and Reed, Aaron, go through these things that seem like contradictions and a paradox. And then as you explain it, we get back to the way that you started at the beginning of this discussion where Patty and Reed looked at you and said, it's common sense. I mean, I, as I worked through the chapters, I thought, well, yeah, this is, this is common sense. The book is called No Rules Rules, available everywhere, I assume. Uh, you can get it everywhere. Yep. It's in uh, 25 languages. Should be at any store near you. <laughs> well, well, thank you so much for spending time with us talking about culture and about Netflix. And uh, it was very helpful. Thanks, Joe. I really enjoyed it. Hope to see you face-to-face -face next time. Deal. Hey, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And you know, all this talk about reinventing yourself has got me really just wanting to Netflix and chill. The issue is, now that I've decided what I want to watch, now I need to wait until that disc comes in the mail. Talk about inconvenient. If only Netflix had a way to bring this to my TV, like, instantly. I bet that'd be a hit. <laughs> well, since we're talking about Netflix and chill, here's a question. What are the most popular shows on Netflix right now? Can you name any of the top five Netflix original shows in 2020? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can binge this podcast. One thing that always decreases the stress of life, and especially during the pandemic year, is having a pet around. Having Cooper the cat around here always gives us some levity. In fact, it was it was uh, 
we were playing this game of hide and seek earlier with, with Cooper and the fact that my cat loves hide and go seek is amazing. The fact that OG gets into a game of hide and seek even more amazing with, with the cat. I like hide and seek with the cat. Always, cat uh, always wins. The cat always wins. Always, always seems to find you. So just like your cat has maybe been essential, your cat, your dog, your pet, whatever it might be, has been essential. PetSmart has been an essential retailer, making sure you can get everything your pet needs right when you need it at over 1,600 convenient locations, and they lead the pack with safe and easy ways to shop. I'll go through some of the things they've done to make sure that you're safe while in a PetSmart store, but even their stores and grooming salons offer digital check-in, curbside drop-off, and pickup and contactless payment. In fact, they've responded to the unprecedented demand for contactless shopping by adding curbside pickup for website or app orders. And now PetSmart offers free same-day delivery powered by DoorDash through January 31st of 2021. It's through January 31st. So you can get everything your pet needs right to your door and right when you need it. Of course, PetSmart's associates really love pets. And caring for them is a big part of why they work there. And as an essential retailer since the beginning of the pandemic, PetSmart's made it safe and easy for you to care for your pet too, online or in stores. At PetSmart, the health and safety of employees, pet parents, and pets are what's most important, which is why they've required face coverings, support social distancing. They've installed plexiglass shields and enhanced cleaning to follow CDC recommendations. Or if you're interested in contactless shopping, just order online at PetSmart.com or on the PetSmart app and enjoy easy curbside pickup or free same-day delivery through January 31st, 2021, powered by DoorDash. So you can get everything your pet needs right to your door and right when you need it. Check out PetSmart.com for more details. Cooper thanks me for that. Your pet will thank you too. If you're an active duty service member like my nephew, a veteran like my dad, like Mr. OG sitting across the card table from me here, a DOD civilian, military family member, that would be me. You could join Navy Federal. That means if you've served in any branch of the military, you can join Navy Federal Credit Union. On average, Navy Federal members, listen to this stat, OG, earn and save 3611 more per year. You can pay no fees, get low rates and rate discounts, plus earn cash back and grow your savings. Have a large credit card balance after the holidays? Let Navy Federal Credit Union help you rebalance your priorities. Make a plan to do away with high interest credit card debt by transferring your balance to a Navy Federal credit card. With a low intro APR and no balance transfer fees, you can pick the right card to help you take back control. Visit NavyFederal.org. That's .org. Navy Federal Credit Union, our members are the mission. Insured by NCUA, dollar value of Navy Federal's 2019 member give back study, 25.9-9 to 18% variable APRs based on product type and credit worthiness up to $1 cash advance transaction fee at non-Navy Federal ATMs. Hey, stackers, I'm your pal, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And since my Netflix disc won't show up for a few days, I guess I'll have to buy some time. Come on over and join me for some golden eye on this new system I've got. It's amazing. It's called a, a, a Nintendo 64. The graphics are unbelievable. It'll blow your mind. Or, or maybe this amazing game called Duck Hunt. Before I go set up some games for us, let's get back to our trivia challenge. Question was, can you name any 
of the top five most viewed Netflix original shows from 2020. Well, here we go. At five, with 48 M views, it's Ratchet. At number four, with 51 M views, it's Too Hot to Handle. Sounds like me on the dance floor, you know, after COVID. At number three, with 62 M views, it's The Queen's Gambit. And what are all these M's after the numbers? That's weird. Well, at number two, with 64 M views, it's Tiger King. And coming in at the big number one, the top Netflix original in 2020 with 65 M views is Money Heist Season 4. Season 4! Imagine waiting for all of those discs. And now that I've given you plenty to do, time to roll out some games for myself. See ya! Big thanks to Aaron Meyer for hanging out with us. To talk about working with excellent people, OG, I think you and I need to have a little talk here. One bad apple, man. Uh, I am not the bad apple. You know what this show could be? Amazing. It already is. Just just think about that. Actually, it's funny. You're, you're looking at the dude who just walked up the stairs and didn't say a word about him. There's maybe an issue we need to talk about here in a little bit. Yeah, we're going to let Doug go. I found this early in my career managing people, what she talks about, about rules. All these rules, OG, these policies, individually, they're great. But the problem is you can't get rid of them and it takes away creativity and makes people hate working there. Much bigger fan of saying, here's the outcome that we're looking for. Go get them, Tiger. Let me know if there's something I can do for you. Yeah, get there, man. And I thought early in my career, I remember thinking, man, if I put just all these policies on place and make it easy, people can just sit down. They don't even have to think and they can just check these boxes and bam, we get this consistent, great output. And immediately, well, actually immediately over the very short run, output went up, but over the longer run, and I'm, I'm saying not even super long run, maybe three weeks later. Yeah. All of a sudden, I'm wondering why less is getting done, even though I put all these phenomenal policies in place. Not great. Give your people room to breathe, huh? Yeah. And I think we even do that, you know, before the interview, I talked about how even if you're a parent, this is difficult. My cousin, his son got invited to a New Year's Eve party. He's a senior in high school. And he said, you know, I don't want to be the overbearing parent that says, no, you can't go. This party's 45 minutes away. I'm not going to be there myself. What do you do, OG? You say no. And you just go, life sucks, dude. Be mad. But there are some places where you think, my kids got to learn this, and I'd rather they learned it while they're at home with me versus wait until next year when his son is on a college campus, has a similar incident come, and dad's not around. Yeah. I had my parents say no to me a lot. I mean, well-meaning parents said no to me a lot when it came to managing money, which is, I think, and I'm not blaming on mom and dad. It was me that destroyed my credit. But the fact that I'd never seen more than a $10 bill in my hand before I got to college, and then all of a sudden I got a a nice, sweet American Express card, I think there's a direct correlation to maybe I should have been trusted with a little more money ahead of time so that I can make better decisions later. Very interesting topic and something that ever since I read this book, 
I've been, I, well, you know, I've been talking about this book all the way through the holidays. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline OG and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency put what you value first. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to spring. Being here in Texas, uh, we've got about another four weeks of winter left. So we're going to try to grind it out between here and Valentine's Day. And uh, you got everybody in Massachusetts giving you the finger right now. It's like, yeah, we missed the storm last week. I mean, it rained like hell, but uh, but we missed the it could have been. Just west of Dallas was a whole bunch of whole bunch of snow and ice and everything, so it could have been it could have been sporting, but no. Uh, winter time in Dallas is thirty seven in rain, so I'm ready for seventy five and sunny again. So that's what I value the most: springtime on the horizon. <laughs> it's actually a loved ones in your time, but hey, loved ones in your time out by the pool. What could be better? A little margarita would be better, but go ahead. Oh yeah, loved ones, your time, pool, margarita, anything with an umbrella in it. Let's be realistic. Let's also be realistic that it's not wasting time on a long insurance application. And that's why Haven Life made the process of buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now for your free quote. It's a simple application. You get an instant coverage decision. You get it taken care of. Go about your business and affordable prices. And of course, backed by a 160-year-old company because you want to make sure the Coverage is there when you need it. We talked about HSAs and FSAs on Monday. Let's keep the string going. Say hi to Brad. Say hi, Brad. Gentlemen, this is Brad in Lexington, Kentucky, and I would like to announce that around March of this year, I'll be retiring. Yes, I'm pretty happy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Quiet. So my question is, I have an HSA and I have max out the contribution and been fortunate enough to be fairly healthy and just pay my own medical bills out of pocket. And I would like to, again, this year, maximize my contribution, but do so early with the first few paychecks as I will not have an HSA through the health insurance broker after retirement. And just want to make sure there are no ramifications for not having the account throughout the entire year. Appreciate any input that you may or may not have, and uh, I'll be sure to get a second opinion since we don't learn things here. Have a great holiday. Thanks for the question, Brad, and congratulations on uh, retiring this year. Also, congratulations on having the family behind you there uh, cheering you on as you call us. So uh, good stuff all around. It's, it's an exciting time for Brad, OG, but it's also a time when he might step in it with the HSA Tell us the rules, wise man. It's 100% prorated. So if he retires in March, that let's say it's a 7,200 family contribution, he can only put in the prorated portion. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and it's full month. So if you retire on April 1st, then you get credit for the entire month of April. So retire on the first day of the month if you can afford it and sock in the rest of the month. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about an extra 600 bucks or something like that. But hey. um, it's something. That's a that's a procedure. It's a procedure. <laughs> yeah, it covers one procedure, like ten years in the future. Oh yeah, okay, I you got gotcha. you. It's one little thing. I guess that's stuff old people think about. It's like procedures. Like how many procedures does this month of HSA contribution get me? <laughs> Come from a guy who just had to schedule one. I'm like, oh yeah, hey, that might uh, cover part of that. Oh, you scheduled a procedure because you're yes. fifty something. Nice. So I think it's important to think that way. 
Brad increasingly, now that he's a retired dude, will be thinking that way as well. So prorated, Brad. Unfortunately, I don't think there's a way to game that system. Make sure the money's invested if you're not going to use it long-term. Absolutely. And also make sure you look into your Medicare supplemental coverages when you're looking at your full insurance package. Thanks to Brad for calling in. You got a question for us? Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And you, like Brad, can bring along your own cheering section as you leave a message for OG and I. You can do that right on your phone. If your computer has a microphone on it, pretty easy to do. Stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. Big thanks to everybody who's told friends about the show. It's been nice getting some of the notes from all of you over the holidays. We really appreciate the fact that you spend time with us and uh, you've either left us a review or you've said to someone, you know what, this one applies to you. So if you know some people who love the world of business or even just need those need those lessons, whether they love it or not, Aaron Meyer, uh, what a fun and informative interview with her. And lastly, if you're somebody who's looking for better financial planning help in your corner, OG and his team are taking clients. So to get on their schedule, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG, and that will lead you to their schedule, set up a meeting with their team and talk about how they may be able to help you. All right. That's going to do it for today. Doug, you've got it from here, man. What should we have learned on this episode? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headlines. When you take care of yourself financially, then you're better able to focus on causes you care about. Second, take a lesson from Aaron Meyer. Hard work is irrelevant. Be radically honest and never, ever try to please your boss. Boy, I live by that one. But the big takeaway... Reinventing yourself is a continual process, so you need to stay up on the times. Check out what I'm talking about on AOL or try out my GeoCities page. I'll put all the info to stay up on new tech there. Special thanks to Erin Meyer for joining us today. We'll have a link to her new book, No Rules Rule, on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is created by Joe Saul Seahigh, produced by Taylor Stevens, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm a lot deeper than you realize. In fact, sometimes I just stand in front of my mirror and reflect. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor.
I mentioned that I've seen a lot of movies lately. Have you seen any? Uh, no. We watched Fat Man. We already talked about that. And yeah. uh, nope, that was it. We talked on Monday about Wonder Woman 84. And after that experience, which you can hear on Monday's show, I hope for better from this one. This is Pixar's new film released on Disney Plus called Soul. What is this place? What's your name, honey? Uh, I'm Joe. I teach middle school band. Cut it, go for it. Today started out as the best day of my life. Back here tonight, first show's at seven. Yes! Woohoo! You know what that's gonna say? Joe Gardner! <laughs> I did it! I got the gig! Must have been sudden for you. great before. This is where new souls get their personalities, quirks, and interest before they go to Earth. Meet 22. I don't want to go to Earth. Stop fighting this. I don't want to. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, look, I already know everything about Earth, and I don't want anything to do with it. You're missing out on the joys of life, like, uh, pizza. I can't smell. We can't, we can't taste either. All that stuff is in your body. No smell, no taste. Or touch. See? Okay, I get it. That's the sound of Jamie Foxx playing the main character in Soul, where he's realized, OG, that when he accidentally stepped in a manhole on his way to his big appearance to finally be with this jazz quartet that is legendary, that he's dreamed about being a part of forever while he's a middle school music teacher— he falls in this manhole and he realizes that he's dead and he's not going to get his shot. And so he then very hilariously tries to get back to Earth. At the same time, he meets a soul uh, played by Tina Fey. And so Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey, as these two characters, end up getting to know a little bit about each other, a little bit about life, a little bit about what it means to be alive from both their perspective. Tina Fey's soul has never been alive. And uh, Jamie Foxx's uh, character is one that thought that they maybe wasted their life uh, teaching middle schoolers how to play instruments in the worst possible way. After watching Wonder Woman 84, I had very low expectations thinking that after all this time of watching so much good TV over the last year, that maybe the magic of movies is gone for me. Oh, gee, maybe I prefer to have 30 to 60 minutes sitting in front of a screen and then have this ongoing story that I can binge over a series of, you know, days or weeks or whatever it might be instead of uh, seeing just two hours straight. Because, man, with Wonder Woman, that two hours straight, I felt like 16 hours watching that movie. With Soul, I was laughing my head off from the first scene with middle schoolers where he's teaching them music and some of the lines that you, you don't catch immediately, but you catch a few minutes later, like you realize some of the inside jokes and you look at some of the pictures that are hanging on the wall or some of the things that Pixar doesn't draw attention to. This is a movie very much for grownups 
being a kid, these are some heady topics. The idea of dying, right? Of not living a full life. This is this is something that my six-year-old or seven-year-old might know nothing about, mm-hmm. or or not even. I'm frankly, I don't even know if this is a movie for kids, but for adults, for fifty-two-year-old adults like me, this is a hell of a movie. I absolutely love this film. I thought, and you know, usually as you know, I'll see between what 40 and 70 movies a year, depending on the year this year, I maybe saw five. So obviously what's that old Eddie Murphy joke (laughs) when you haven't had a cracker in a long time, everyone tastes like a Ritz, you know? So maybe it's that, maybe it's that I haven't seen that many, but man, was this a great film. Okay. I heard it was awesome. So I'm a big fan of Pixar movies generally. So I can, there've been a few that I really didn't inside out. I didn't love, and I thought that was all right. Like cars two and cars three. I like NASCAR as much as the next, heck I I like NASCAR more than most people. I (laughs) go to races, but cars two and cars three, not that much. Toy story movies. Fantastic. Coco was brilliant. Not that many people saw it. Wasn't a big fan of Wally. I thought that was all right. A little depressing, but man, this was so good. And just uplifting, really, really fun movie. Big, big thumb up for Disney Pixar's soul. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend, OG who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. 